too. Hey, don't you stealing my thunder. Uh, I get to mix it up once in a while. No, it's not. Sure it is. No. Yeah, easy for you to say. You don't have a catchphrase that you say all the time. <laughs> That's right. How would you like it if I said... That'd be yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Flurry, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and hey. <laughs> sorry, I went on too long now. You got me all excited. <laughs> hey, and welcome. Hey, 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 hey. I said hey. this is going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to yet another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, I'm Robin. <laughs> <laughs> and joining me, oh, you're off. The, you're off no, today. No, I'm trying some different stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're evolving as a podcast. Evolving, all right. Evolving. Uh, my name is Robin O, and I am joined today by Mr. Ryan Flurry. Howdy. And Mr. Steve Barkley. I deny everything. And Mr. Cowbell. Thank you, Mr. Cowbell. <laughs> 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 okay, Google in the house. Hey, Google. How you doing? Sorry, I can't help no, with that you yet, blew it. I did. I'm always learning. Here, we'll do it again. Hey, Google. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Anything I can help with? You're yeah. awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. That's going to be rocking. We have Echo in the house as well. Yeah. Do we? Echo? She doesn't have a mic. She's plugged into the mixer. Echo? There she was. Hey, Echo. Hey, stupid. <laughs> Echo. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Did you know cats sometimes talk to me when there's nobody else around? So far, I've learned one word. Meow. Echo's kind of like the weird <laughs> Google Home's weird sister that <laughs> they yeah, just kind of stays in her room a lot. Yeah, plays with unicorns. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, how are you guys doing? All right. Not too bad. Excellent. Hey, Ryan, we have Ryan. a lot to talk about today, so let's get right to it. Uh, what are we doing today? Today, we are talking with Chris Venter, who is also known as Blind Scooter Guy. All the way from? South Africa. South Africa. Nice. Bet she sounds like Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Mufasa, who is that? That's, is that the Lion, Lion King's Lion dad? King. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, okay. I don't, that's that was James Earl Jones. I don't think he sounds like James Earl Jones. <laughs> But anyways, we will find out. Uh, yeah, some some news to talk about today. Uh, you guys were telling me a little bit about this before we turn the mics on. But why don't you let the people know what uh, what this bomb thing is? Take it away, Steve. Well, uh, bomb in uh, Germany, the Braille Braille display manufacturer uh, filed for bankruptcy. What a couple months ago now, I think. At least, yeah. Yeah. Um, and a couple of days ago, we just got official word that, uh, bomb USA is, uh, is closing down. Although that doesn't come as much of a surprise seeing as, uh, they were, uh, in the process of shutting it down regardless. But now officially, uh, if you have a bomb product in the U S it's got to be serviced in Germany. Germany. Yeah. And you're responsible for shipping. Uh, it's going to be pricey. Yep. Now, so these guys have been major players in the in the Braille realm for quite a few years. Oh yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is a big European uh, Braille company. Um, they they have been 
um, a, a big part of the European market. Um, never, never really cracked the U.S. market the way they would have liked to. I don't think um, they made a number of different runs at it, uh, either in partnership with people or um, uh, just through uh, resale uh, channels. But, uh, but yeah, never, never quite made the impact that they wanted to in the U.S. market. Hmm. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I know that they're trying to, you know, work their way out of this um, and trying to find, you know, financing to stay above water. But yeah, I didn't a few months ago also happen to Handytech USA as well. Wasn't there a story that Handytech USA closed? Uh, uh, well, that was Earl. Earl Triumph Technology. Triumph Technology, right? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he shut his company down. Right, right, yeah. And he was Handytech USA, right. essentially. Hmm. So, so is there something to these these braille companies that are going under? Is is this a, a trend? Is this is this caused well, by something? Let, let's let's make no mistake. Handytech has not gone under. Right. Hand, Handytech right. is still still alive. They're another German manufacturer, but they're they're still very much a going concern. I see. Um, but um, I think probably the the big issue for those guys is competition and low cost competition. Mm-hmm. Because the German and most, I mean, there's there's other companies like Eurobraille in France and, and other uh, uh, companies that manufacture products in Europe, and they tend to be very pricey by comparison to, you know, say the, uh, you know, the HIMS products, which uh, come out of Korea, or the uh, um, Freedom Scientific products out of Florida, you know, they, they just don't, they, they, they can't compete on price. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is Isn't interesting. It? Do you guys know anything about this? Oh, hey, I know some news. What? I know some news. Hey, did you know that uh, Canadian Assistive Technologies just hired a new guy? <gasps> what? Yeah. I think they mentioned that in last week's show. Did no, we? we didn't. No, we didn't. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, okay, maybe no. totally after the show. Well, it wasn't official last That's true. Uh, last yeah, show. that's right. That's it, was still, it was still up in the air Alrighty. until the forms were signed. Excellent. And we sat in Monique's office for forty-five minutes. <laughs> I had to sign two forms. Yeah. So the uh, the the uh, AT Banter podcast guys are all now gainfully employed. Yay! Yay for Can Aztec. Yay for Steve. Buy our shit. Buy our shit. See, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Please. I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put that on a separate track. Subliminal, like really low. <laughs> Just kidding. Excellent. Good plan. Fire should. We, we're still going to have a meeting afterwards? Yes. Good. Excellent. I brought Because I brought paper oh. and pencils and stuff. Ooh. So Google told me a joke last week. Want to hear it? Yeah. yeah. Where do typists go to get a drink? I know this one. No, I don't actually. Go ahead. Something. The space bar. Oh. oh. <laughs> I, got, I got one too. Go. So a weasel walks into a bar. And the bartender, he freaks out. He goes, oh, my God, look at that. It's a weasel. Dude, hey, I've never had a weasel come into my bar before. That's so awesome. Man, hey, what, what can I get you? Pop goes the weasel. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the U.S., that joke would not make sense because they'd be like, what's pop? That's right. <laughs> not for the U.S., it's soda goes the weasel. Yeah, it just wouldn't work. It doesn't it's, fit. it's a yeah. Canadian joke. <laughs> So yeah, never, thought, never thought of that cultural yeah. differences, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the, the other big thing we should actually probably talk about, uh, did you guys see this article about uh, the, the bill that passed um, that um, changes the American, what, what is Americans it? with Disabilities Act. Yeah. Did you see that? Yep. I saw it. I didn't get into depth on it. I don't actually know exactly what this means. From what I read, it basically means now that individuals with disabilities need to file complaints with the ADA about a business or venue not being accessible before they actually can sue or litigate. That, that's right. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's, it's legislation that, that amends the, the act as it is um, that... Um, changes changes the process that somebody can level a complaint against a company it, the the idea behind the legislation is that they want to try to reduce the amount of what they call you know lawyers like taking advantage of 
of uh, of businesses and just being able to to sue on the on the drop of a dime. Mm-hmm. So through the legislation, let me just bring it up here uh, and and tell you exactly what they what they changed. Um, so under the bill, those wishing to sue businesses in federal court over an ADA public accommodations violation must first first deliver a written notice to that business detailing the illegal barrier to access and then give that business 60 days to come up with a plan to address the complaints and then an additional 60 days for the company to take action. Well, that seems reasonable. That's what I thought, too. Now, we're probably going to get a lot of hate mail, and that's fine. Send it all to Ryan at canastech.com. But, you know, I think what they said is, is this, this is going to hurt the, the ma and pa shops, right, that maybe don't have the financial means necessarily to put in ramps or accessible washrooms. You know, buildings that have been around 30, 40, 50 years that need to be retrofitted, they're they're just asking to be sued by these people now, right? Well, they were, uh, I mean, I remember when the ADA was uh, first introduced, there were there were people who were essentially making a living going around suing right. buildings for being inaccessible. Right. Um, so um, I think this probably removes some of the opportunism from from that yeah uh, I think because this makes more sense yeah because literally you 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 could conceivably under the ada go around just slapping lawsuits slapping lawsuits on folks mm-hmm. um and and there's certainly been cases of that so you know to me it seems fairly a uh, fairly reasonable accommodation to say okay you've got to file a complaint first you got to give them a chance to remedy it and then you can go ahead and sue yeah you know that doesn't seem unreasonable to me. People seem pretty unhappy about it. Well, <laughs> you know, a lot of the, the, the flip side of that, uh, you mean what the what sort of some of the activists are saying is that if the if the bill is enacted, it it essentially guts the ADA's provisions dealing with public public accommodations by removing any incentive for the businesses to make those changes before they get a complaint. So it's it's going to make uh, make make the 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 idea of accessible spaces uh, an afterthought again. And, and after oh, once again, it's an it's oh, an okay. afterthought, right? There, there, people are going to be like, well, we're not going to put in, uh, you know, disabled bathrooms and until we get until a complaint. We get a complaint. Right. I got you. Okay, yeah, I can so, see that being a an issue. Sure. So that's that's the the, the flip side of, of this. So, you know, on the one hand, yeah, it. it you know, it's 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 kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, um, because I, I think both sides have uh, have have really good, um, solid foundations. I mean, the the co-author. I, I thought that the quote from the uh, let me let me just pull up her her actual name and give her credit. Representative Jackie Spear of uh, a Democrat from California who was a a co-sponsor of the bill. She had a, a great quote, which which was. She said uh, she had witnessed too many ripoff artists in California that are in it just for making a buck. I want public places to be accessible to persons with disabilities. I want them fixed, and I'm not interested in making a few attorneys rich, and I'm not interested in gotcha stuff. I just want them to be accessible. Which, you know, uh, on, on the face of it, that, I think that's admirable. I think that, that uh, you know, that is the important part. But... You have to take into account that businesses are always going to go for the lowest common denominator. If they can get away with saving a few bucks in not making something accessible that they don't have to, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of fall on the side of they're going to do that. Well, I think you know, kind of what gets me is as a blind person, if I walk to one of our malls and I go into one of the, cafe, the cafes there, let's say a Starbucks and there's no disabled washroom, and I walk out, I call a lawyer, the lawyer shows up on their doorstep. Is that fair? Is that right? Uh, well, like, that, I that think just it is. seems, I don't think so. I think you should talk to the owner first. I think there Look, should be a procedure in place where you're not just slapping lawsuits on people right off the bat. Talk to the owners, maybe send, send in some recommendations and solutions before the lawyer sets foot in the place yeah but i think that I, I think that the idea behind the law in the first place is to to get 
the businesses at, at the beginning of the process. Yes, like I if think you're, at, if, if you're, you're building, building a, if yes. you're building a space, yes. you need to know that okay, damn. Well, we need to make sure that we have that that our yes. space is accessible, yeah. so that we don't get sued. But what do you do to these buildings that were built in the 1900s? Well, you I know? mean that they they just they they have to go through that process. I mean that's just it, if we want to if we want to build accessible public spaces, you need legislation like that. People need to have that fear of being litigated or else they're, they're just not going to do it. They're just going to wait for someone to complain. There's going to be some buildings, though, that can't be retrofitted. They just can't. The way they're built, the way they're structured, the way they're laid out. Tear them down. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what the answer is there. I mean, that you know, but that's going to be an exception to the rule. And that's, you know, you, you're just going to have to deal with that. Um, you know, I, I don't see why why like, I, don't public, I, don't, I don't see why public spaces are should be any different than uh, the web accessibility. Oh, I totally agree. I would love to see everything be accessible. Accessible spaces, and, accessible bathrooms, accessible elevators, buttons everywhere, talking elevators, whatever. You know, I would love to see it all, but that's not reality at this point in time. You, but, well, it, but if it's going to be made reality, I mean, how many guests have we had on and how many, you know, how many news star- stories have we have we covered that over and over again, they say litigation is the only way through that. You have to, people have to be in fear of getting sued. That's the only way businesses are gonna make these changes. And and I don't think mm-hmm. this changes that though. This, this no. just means that there's 120 days where they've got a chance to fix things right. before they get sued. Hopefully, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, like, I, yeah, I guess. I don't know, I'm, I think, I, I think that the knee jerk reaction to this in terms of of the advocacy groups and the activists is that anytime you undercut this legislation that's scary well and they're saying this legislation goes back you know 20 25 28 years or whatever so you know we're kind of going back to the stone age with accessibility but you know i i keep coming back to this fact that yes it would be great if everything's accessible but don't just react by suing somebody talk to them first Lay out some proposals and solutions before you complain. If you're just complaining and don't give them any solutions, I just don't agree with your with your method. You know, you need to have solutions. You can't just start suing everybody. Mm. Yeah, see, mm. I think I think you two have an agree have, uh, have to agree to disagree. <laughs> no, there I think go. I think I just have to agree <laughs> that Ryan's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's a hot topic. I mean. And I don't know, like I, I, and I have to admit, I, I, I'm. It's been years since I used to watch that Schoolhouse Rock thing on, <laughs> on how the how the bills work and stuff. Like I don't know what actually this means. If this, if this actually because this has gone through this process, does that mean that it's that it's law now? No, or not yet. just now it has to go to another level where it's it's got to get through the House. It's got to go to the Senate. It's got to get be passed by the Senate, and then it has to be signed into law by the president. Yeah, so it's yeah. Not, yeah. It's well, got a ways to go yet. But. We know we know he loves to sign stuff and then show it to the camera, so you know that that'll happen. But yeah, hope I don't know. Hopefully, we'll we'll. Are, are we'll, you are you disparaging Trump, greatest president ever? <laughs> <laughs> greatest president ever. Uh, yes, um, <laughs> I, I absolutely am. Um. Well, yeah, well, this will be something to keep an eye on. And, and by all means, if uh, if anybody, any of our listeners down there in the States, you know, sound off, uh, drop us an email and let, let us know how you feel about this. Um, but Shed some light on us up here in Canada. You know, I, you know, honestly have no idea what the ADA Act contains. So I would love to get somebody on from there to talk about it. But, you know, if you do know a lot about the ADA and you're involved with it, let us know. Yeah, we're just, we're still working on a disability act for Canada. So that's right. Yeah. Well, and you know, look, look, uh, what they do down there could very well impact. Sure. What what eventually gets passed here? So it it, it is important to us as well. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, all right. So I guess if that's all the news, then uh, let's let's move into uh, talking to Chris. Alrighty, let's bring him aboard. Hello, Canada. Hello. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm well. How you guys? Doing well, thanks. Cool. Just figuring this this app out for the first time. Yeah, we like it. 
yeah, it seems to work really well and it's quite accessible, which is always a pleasure. That mm -hmm. was, yeah, that was one of the, the key things uh, about picking it and, and that and the sound quality. The sound quality we found was so much better than Skype that uh, we switched over yeah. and it's free. Great. No, it's Good not. Stuff. Well, <laughs> is it not free? <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. It's free for me. <laughs> yeah, it's free for me. <laughs> so, sorry, Ryan. Uh, screw All right. you. <laughs> All right. So, Chris, we're ganging up on you today. I'm Ryan. And cool. we, with me in the room, I have Steve Barclay. Hello there. Hi, Steve. How you doing? Yeah, excellent. And I've got Rob Minot. Hello there. Hi, Rob. Jeez, three on one, eh? You betcha. Yeah, right. tough guy. I can take it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we're just, we're, we're a little simple, so it takes three of us to, to really combine to be one mind. Put a thought together. <laughs> yeah. That's a feeble excuse. That's a feeble excuse. <laughs> uh, well, listen, Chris, uh, we want to thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Uh, what time is it over there? It is 7.30 p.m., and he's all the way in South Africa. Woohoo. All the way in Cape Town. Cape Town. Thanks. Let's, uh, well, let's see, where do we start? Uh, I mean, reading your bio, you, you are quite the adventurer. Um, I, I don't even know where to start. Well, let's start, at, <laughs> let's, let's start out. How did you, where did you get this, this real lust for adventure? Have you always had it, even as a kid? You know, blame it on the Famous Five and Secret Seven books. I'm not sure if you have them in Canada, but Enid Blyton's stories where kids went exploring the world and discovering things and being inquisitive. I suppose that's where, where it was born. But I, for as long as I can remember, I've been absolutely addicted to adventure. I've always wanted to seek out the unknown and do what other people might consider to be crazy. And I would definitely be one of those people. Sure, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, they say that if you find something that you can do that you truly love doing, then you don't really need to ever work again. So uh, tell us a little bit about um, how you eventually lost your vision and, and the trip that you were on wh when that happened. All right. So all through school and all through my young adult life, being a sighted, wannabe adventurer and wannabe travel writer I didn't follow my dreams and I followed a totally different route I became a chef and although my culinary career was somewhat interesting because it took me all around the world I worked mostly in the Caribbean funnily enough I, I always knew there was something else out there something waiting for me and eventually I plucked up enough courage to take the, the plunge and in 2013 together with some friends we climbed onto little 150cc Vespa scooters and traveled all the way from Cape Town through Africa, across Europe, wow. around the United Kingdom to finish in Dublin Island. Wow. Wow. And the trip was primarily a pediatric healthcare awareness campaign with uh, visits to children's hospital homes, orphanages, and you know, just different children's medical associations through the continent and across Europe. And of course, to do it on a, a little Vespa scooter made it a big challenge because I'd been passionate. I'd been an avid collector and enthusiast in, in the vintage Vespas for some, some years before that. And this was the trip that was meant to do something good, but ultimately give me a story to write about. I've always believed that if you want to write a really good story, you should live the story first. So in 2013, on the 1st of February, we set out and... All of a sudden, in the middle of Africa, I became very sick. I flew home from Tanzania, and after not being able to get medical attention there, and um, being bounced around and jumping from doctor to doctor, hospital to hospital, I ended up back in Cape Town, thinking that the trip was over for me. But the doctor here, he diagnosed that I had bilharzia, food poisoning, dehydration, all sorts of things that... I did have, and that it all contributed to my ailments, but it wasn't the ultimate situation. Right. He pumped me full of vitamins and a couple of courses of antibiotics, and he, you know, a few days later, I started feeling okay. By now, my, my, the rest of my team were heading towards the Sudan, and there was no opportunity for me to get a scooter there. So I sat and stopped, and then I said, bugger this. I'm not going to take this. I'm going to make a plan. 
So I organized the loan scooter in Paris and I traveled south in Europe. And funnily enough, my team members got stuck with visa issues between Ethiopia and the Sudan. So they were they spent an extra month there and it gave me plenty of time to cruise around Europe and all of our engagements and appointments that we had made in Europe that they were now going to miss, um, scooter rallies and things like that, right. I got to attend on my own and ended up meeting them when they got to the bottom of Africa. Funnily enough, doing more mileage than they ended up doing. <laughs> so I finished the trip. And the entire time that I was traveling in Europe, I, I knew something wasn't right. I was tired very quickly. I was dizzy. I was not myself. And I, yeah, I put it down to traveling. Eight months on the road, 30,000 kilometers. This is the best part of 20,000 miles. I figured I just needed some time back home. I needed to rest and I'd be okay. By the time that we got to Dublin, and we, we did a little tour around Ireland. I took the scooter and, and delivered it back to, to Paris and got back to London. By the time I flew home, I was falling apart. I'd lost an enormous amount of weight. I was shaking, and I just wanted to get home to see a doctor. That's when my <laughs> fun and game started because I got bounced from hospital to hospital. They didn't know what was wrong with me. And the mm. more that I told them, something's going on with my eyes, I'm seeing the little floaters and, and blurred vision, the more they didn't listen to me. So they did lumbar punctures, blood tests, MRIs, chest x-rays, more blood tests, more blood tests. It was excruciating because I think I went to at least six different doctors in four different hospitals mm -hmm. all on a couple of occasions. But at no point did I get to see an ophthalmologist. The more that I told them something's going on in my eyes, that you know, the... the, the the general practitioners looked through my eyes and said, well, we don't see anything wrong. But, of course, they're not ophthalmologists, so they right. can't really look at your retina. And then all of a sudden, my sight disappeared. Nope. And by that point, I'd actually gone and made an appointment with a private ophthalmologist. But I was waiting for the – it took about a month to get that appointment. I was waiting for that day to come so that I could be checked out by him and he, you know, him give me the same hopefully good diagnosis. He looked through my eyes and immediately said, you've got – a virus growing on your retinas, get to the ophthalmology unit. And he phoned them. We set up, got there, stuck a needle through my eye, huh. you know, ouch, and did the biopsy. And, uh, yeah, the virus at that point, they, they, they managed to save my life, but the virus had attacked the, the, the light receptor cells in my retinas, leaving me totally blind. And uh, I sat quite stunned and in a wheelchair, unable to walk, unable to go to the toilet on my own. Uh, falling apart wow. and just being told you're blind and thinking that that was the end of my adventures and my aspirations to be a, a travel and adventure writer for sure so, so that's the that, that's the long version <laughs> well that <clears throat> so where were you when you finally had that diagnosis in cape town I, i'd, I'd come back, back to cape town and it was at that point that my sight disappeared and that was in june of 2014 Fourth of June. I can tell you exactly how many days, <laughs> hours, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So how long? How long was that process? Like, so from from when you first uh, contracted the the illness on the, the virus to, to it, it it went on for the better part of eight months from wow. originally becoming ill. I got bilharzia, which I suspect was from Lake Malawi, from the northern shores of Lake Malawi. And then food poisoning in Tanzania, perhaps somewhere in Dar es Salaam or, or somewhere close to that. I was severely dehydrated. You know, when you're traveling through Africa on a little scooter and you're sleeping in the bush and, and roughing it up, you experience what the world has to offer that is not <laughs> most desirable. And my sight was fine. I could see, I could walk. It fell apart in the last month. So that that from, from that May of 2014 is, is when my health really fell apart. But we didn't know it had anything to do with this, this virus attacking my retinas. My sight was fine. It disappeared within two days. It, it, it was always a little blurry. And then from full sight to absolutely nothing. I, I see nothing. I see a starless night. So is that the nature of the virus, though? Is that that's kind of how it works? Is that it kind of just travels around the body and just attacks different different parts? It just didn't get diagnosed correctly. If they had picked it up earlier, when I first went to get medical attention, I would no doubt see today. Right. 
And does that frustrate you? Does that does that like does that sort of eat at you? It it did. For, you know, it took me a year to firstly learn how to walk again and learn how to wow. shower without falling over and things like that. Then it took me a year learning how to use my MacBook and, and my iPhone and things like that because obviously I, I sometimes resent people that go blind slowly. I naively thinking that they would have time to learn the technology, knowing that their site is going, which obviously isn't the case. But I, I had to learn, and then you know, it took me a year to to write my book. My book is one hundred and sixty-five thousand words, which tells the story of my my scooter trip, you know, the planning, preparation, as well as the actual trip, and then my journey into into Cyclops. Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know that's one one of the things that that we kind of like to talk about on the show, uh, talking to different people and their experiences, especially um, in terms of um, visual impairment, is that everybody has has had a, a different experience in terms of, of vision loss. And you're absolutely right. Some people you know lose it very fast. Some people it's it's more of a process. But at the core of that, you know that that grieving process, that 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 process of adaptation and acceptance um, is 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 a tough road for anybody despite um, the details of you know how how long the process took so it's you know it's, it's sure, always yeah. it's always interesting to, to talk to people to see how they got through it and how they managed to push through it and um, so it really it sounds like you you've adapted pretty fast in, in all honesty um, I was, uh, you know, when I lay there in the hospital bed and the doctor told me that you're blind, there's nothing we can do for you, your life is saved, you will get your weight back, you'll be healthy, but you're never going to see again. Uh, I said to him, okay, send me home. And he said, no, well, you know, you need some time to recover. And he, so I said, no, send me home. I'll go and bounce off the walls. I will do what I have to do. I will be fine. Send me home. And Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of sight loss support here at the bottom end of the planet, almost exactly opposite to where you guys are sitting at the moment. Unfortunately, if you want to go and learn how to weave baskets and things like that, then fine. But if you want to learn how to use a MacBook, you're going on YouTube and you're doing Mm -hmm. a bit of research. And I'm lucky in that I've got a a loving wife. I was quite computer literate and I, I adapted quickly. And when I had the conversation just the other day with um, my blind friend who's a, a racer in, in Australia, Ben, I said, Ben, I haven't met anyone who's been blind for a shorter period than me. Because for me, it's, a, it's three and a half years, really. Right. A little over that. I said, and he's you know, been blind for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I said to him, why is that? Are people not going blind anymore? And he said, Geez, you're right. I don't know anybody who's been blind for a shorter period than you either. So maybe they're doing breakthroughs, innovations, and there's just people are not going blind as much anymore. And the next time we chatted, he said to me, he thought about what I said, and he realized that most people, it takes them seven, eight years before they actually start communicating and, and relaunching themselves in the world. He knows that for him, it was eight years. He, he locked himself in his room. That was his life. So, yeah, I guess I've adapted early, but I will not let sight loss beat me. I will not let it stop me. I will be a travel and adventure writer. And, hey, guess what? I never, not, I never knew that I'd become a blind one. So be it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I think that there's... You know, obviously, you know, everybody's different in, in how they react. And, and certainly there's there's going to be a, a grieving process. But I also think part of that is is the message that that uh, society has has sort of sent the blind community, which is one of sort of almost like a, a learned helplessness. That's I, exactly and, it. And and I feel like that's beginning to change. Um more and more, especially the younger generation. I mean, we've we've had guests on the show lately that that uh, that really have driven this home. They're we're, we're trying to get away from that. Um, you know, blind people, visually impaired people, your life isn't over once you lose your vision. It, it's it's really. I, I agree one hundred percent. You know, it's just that you you may have to do things differently. You may have to adapt. You may have to use different technology. 
but by no means is your is your life over. And so, you know, the, less and less, I think people are just locking themselves in a room for for eight years while they sort of cement that. People are able to grieve, get through that grieving process, and then say, "Okay, here I am. I'm ready. Let's figure out how to how to re-enter life." Well, right. well just this 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 weekend, I met with the guy who's been blind for less than a year. Who you, you know, when you become blind, you, I, I call myself an accidental accessibility advocate because <laughs> you, you can't help but become wary and understanding. And people reach out, obviously, when they need support, specifically here yeah, with it, they're not always able to get it. So he, he reached out to me, and I'm kind of mentoring him in some way and helping him. And I set him up and showed him how to use an iPhone and things like that this weekend. And it was quite an emotional thing to see because he's going through that grieving stage. He, he's, he's less than a year into sight loss and all of the things, all the frustrations and, and challenges that he's experiencing and he was expressing to me, I know that I went through all of that as well. Ryan, you went through a fairly similar uh, process. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Ryan lost his sight in a freak bingo accident. But, uh, um, Both eyes, eh? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, never say, when you're around Ryan, never say under the B for uh, it just uh, freak, freaks him out. Um, but but how, how long was your process, Ryan, before you were ready to take on... Because when I met you, it was, you know, your first computer. That, Which was uh, probably two years into my sight loss. Yeah. Yeah, I lost my sight in 1995. And I think probably probably the first year because I, you know, I also had a girlfriend within that first year of being blind, got married, and, and had a son. So I had a excuse my language, a shitload of stuff on my plate other than blindness. But I think probably the first year, you know, like you said, bouncing off walls, how do I do the dishes? How do I do laundry? How do I do this, that, and the other thing? And just the yeah. anger, the emotions. And I think, you know, I think what I'm getting from you, Chris, is, you know, attitude is, is everything. If you've got a positive attitude and you've got a good support network around you, sure, you're going to go through the grieving process and everybody grieves differently. But, you know, you have to have that attitude that, you know, life isn't over and the support around you is very important. Well, a couple of things. Uh, f firstly, I also, within a year of going blind, got married to my girlfriend. What, what was a real challenge for me is not only dealing with the blindness, but I, I was dealing with the fact that I was so ill and so weak and you know, I couldn't stand, fall over. I had to be wheeled around in a wheelchair. My home is not pretty wheelchair friendly. It's, it's now become blind friendly, but it mm -hmm. certainly wasn't. So there was so much more than just the sight loss. There was the absolute, absolute frustration. It's, it's almost, I often use the analogy that it's like being put into a prison, center, a prison cell. You, you In solitary confinement for which you've committed no crime. And you have to find a way to live that new life or you're just going to stay there so i suppose some people you know, it's, a, it's a quicker evolution well, back into the into the real world and i think technology has helped a lot making it yeah. a quicker process yeah there's definitely you know with social networks and stuff nowadays you've got you know quote unquote support groups or or people you can reach out to and talk to and, and sure, share your yeah. feelings and emotions yeah. it would be so easy to make the decision to not go out, to not socialize, to just sit in your bedroom and, you know, suck your thumb all day. Um, yeah. But, you know, and, you know, it's tough. People have to reach that point where they're ready to, you know, step out of their comfort zone again and take on the world because, like you said, you know, life isn't over. You're just blind. There's a lot worse things that could that could happen to you. There's a lot worse things. <laughs> I'll tell you a story about that or it could be worse. But just, just quickly on that point, there's a lot of people that I've met that are blind, that have been blind for 20, 30 years, and they've come to me for help with their iPhones and that. And I'm like, hey, dude, I've only just figured this out. Yeah. But it's, it's technology that they have never, ever had at their fingertips. So all of a sudden, they're able to quickly evolve to a point where life is a lot better. I think it's, we're lucky. We're living in an age where it is a lot easier than what it was you know, 20 years ago. But yeah, just coming back, sorry, I'm talking like a chat box here. Coming back to the, the, the point of it could be worse. 
I met a, a blind guy here about um, uh, probably about a year and a half ago. And he told me that when he first went blind, he was, he was in a motor car wreck. He was lying in the hospital bed, newly blind, frustrated, pissed off. His wife had just told him she can't stay with him uh, and, you know, not wanting to face the world. He told me that all he wanted to do was get out of the hospital bed and go and kill himself. And then the guy that was in a bed next to him in the same ward called him and said, excuse me, sir. And he kind of like just ignored him for a while. He, he was persistent. He said, please, excuse me, sir. Can you help me? Can you take me to the toilet? And he said to him, well, I'm not going to swear and say the exact words, but he <laughs> told him, get the hell out of here. <laughs> There's no chance. Can't you see I'm blind? Is there something wrong with you? And they were silent for a while. And then the guy said to him, yes, I can see that you're blind, but I've got no arms and I've got no legs. <laughs> I've also been in a wreck and we can help each other. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he ended up becoming the guy's wheelchair driver and he'd take him to the little canteen and he'd buy a candy bar with his money and help him and he'd help him with his cell phone that he could you know, take a call and he'd hold it for him and take him to the toilet. It, it, it doesn't mean because you're blind that you're worthless because you can still live a full life and you could be of huge value to someone. Yeah. So why don't we, why don't we talk a little bit about, um, you know, post here here you are you're, you're a travel and adventure writer what, what's that like where are you going what are you doing yeah okay well i as i said i'm, I'm now a blind travel and adventure writer which I, I often say that the thorn that was poking at my side has now defined me and made me something unique and special mm-hmm. when i approach a company and say would you like someone to come and explore your business and tell you what it's like because there are of course 285 million blind people in the world and let's face it they're all potential customers i can do a bit of an article for you then they jump at the opportunity it's unique it's something special south african tourism has had a massive drive now advertising itself as a place that is accessible to the visually impaired so i've been doing a lot of that type of thing um yeah, done crazy things. I've traveled by ocean air, by road, by rail, by I've bungee jumped, kayaked, you name it. I'm about to leave in a month's time for my next big adventure, which <laughs> I'll tell you about in a bit. But uh, I've, I've just, I've accepted that being blind defines me. And I sat the other day and made a list of all the things in life that I'd absolutely really like to have to be truly happy for the rest of my life. A little holiday house by the sea, all sorts of things like that. And an hour or so later, I sat back and I looked at that list and I realized that I hadn't put sight on that list. It was quite a defining moment because I realized that I'm now the blind scooter guy. So the, the, the blind scooter guy, by the way, I, I was always Chris the scooter guy because I had a whole collection of vintage Vespa scooters. I'd call people and say, hey, it's Chris. And of course, they'd say, which Chris? Because it's quite a <laughs> common name. So I'd say, you know, Chris the scooter guy. Oh, Chris the scooter guy. And then I started being referred to as Chris the blind guy. I was like, ah, crap, that's not going to work. <laughs> so the blind scooter guy was, was born and it's, it's kind of stuck. It's just became, become my thing. So I, I, through my writing, I got involved in Toastmasters and I've become a speaker. So I now just today finished an assignment and I've been doing quite a few. I go into corporates and I speak about accessibility and seeing the sightless and I just show them how to educate their staff and show them that they need to talk to the blind person, not to the person that's guiding the blind person. <laughs> I'm sure you've all experienced that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Now speak, yes. actually speaking of that though, uh, you were, you were involved in a Ted talk, weren't you? Yeah, I was the first blind man to present on the TEDx stage here in Africa. That was um, less than two years into my sight loss. It was quite a big thing, quite a defining moment. It was massive, you know, a couple thousand people and, and stream viewed, I think, over 60,000 people live at that point. So it was quite a, a point. And, and that kind of cemented the whole speaking thing. Everyone said, oh, it was such a success. It, it, I did it. Oh. I told the audience to to stand up and close their eyes, stand up and shake each other's hands, shake the, the hand of the person to your left and right. And of course they 
were in a turmoil they couldn't do it and i said yeah welcome to my world so <laughs> it, it was really good it was a huge huge success and after that i've, I've spoken at the successness festival and this year i'm speaking in ireland in december uh, doing a whole bunch of crazy things so yeah the speaking is a way as is the look you, you need to write and you need to speak to be able to fund having adventures and travel you can't just go and travel for no reason so for me i, I love storytelling i've always been an avid storyteller a campfire storyteller so put pen to paper put fingers to macbook and share the stories with the world and speaking affords me the right to do that it allows me the opportunity to go and travel it allows me the opportunity to finance travel and yeah that's so so yeah now i i speak i i write which is all storytelling as far as i'm concerned and hopefully i educate and help teach the world <laughs> to be a little more aware than what I w wasn't, because I I was a dumb fool. I I never met a blind person before becoming one. So I have to ask you: Do you still ride your scooter? I ride it up and down the street at the house. Yes, <laughs> excellent. Sometimes my wife sits on the back and grabs my elbows and uh, indicates right, left, or a real tight squeeze for stop immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. But yeah, I, I play with them and I, I service them and I fiddle with them. And I, it's just, I'm not going to let my sight plus stop me from enjoying what I enjoy. If you, if you look at blind, crazy adventurer people that are motorheads, I don't know if you guys have spoken to Dan Parker. No. Who's, uh, I'll have to put you guys in touch. He, he's busy building a car to become the world's fastest blind racer he was the world really? nitros land speed, speed racing champion he lost his sight in a wreck he's been blind for about uh, just over five and a half years i think it's about a, about a year more than me so around five years and he um, a year and a half after his sight loss he became the first blind man to race on the bonneville salt flats and not only did he race but he he built the bike the, wow. the track he built the rig himself nice. so he he teaches shop at the moment. He's from Atlanta or just outside of Columbus or Columbia, something. Yeah, Columbia, Georgia. And he, he proves to the world that a blind man can do anything that a sighted person is able to. I suppose that's a mantra that, that I've had to live by. A blind man can do anything that a sighted person is able to, given the right accessible tools. Well, that's, you know, it's funny, you, it's funny you say that because we had a guest on uh, just the other day that, or, or a few weeks ago that, uh, I mean, what she said was, uh, yeah, a blind person can do anything a sighted person can except for drive a car. And now you've just proven that that's <laughs> yes. not even the case there. It's just a matter well, of the, Uber's, big enough road. Uber's wonderful. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on Uber. Yeah, we, <laughs> We've been fighting here in Vancouver for years to get ride sharing and we still don't have it. Uh, we don't have anything like rideshare or, or, or any of the you know government financed rideshare things, but we we do have Uber and Taxify and things mm -hmm. like that now. So yeah, we're just stuck with it's, taxis. It's, it's getting there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, listen. So tell us a little bit about uh, some of the sort of the maybe the technical um, adaptations that you use on a daily basis. You, I mean, you mentioned uh, using an iPhone a lot. Are you, are you just basically using the the built-in accessibility features on it when you're using it? Sure, and a, a pile of apps um, that that help me. So things like Bespecular. I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar yep. with Bespecular, yep. which is funny enough, a South African girl who who invented that or came up with that app. She every now and then I do something crazy. I even strapped an apple to my wrist the other day and took a picture of it and posted the picture and said, "Is this really a genuine apple?" watch or have I've been had <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I, I use things like that mainly in the kitchen if I need to identify something I use tap tap see all the general apps that people use right. what I found to be the most valuable tool is not my MacBook well the MacBook's great for writing simply because it keeps up with me because I, I write incredibly quickly but my Bluetooth keyboard and iPhone without the Bluetooth keyboard my iPhone is 25% of what it could be. I am right. able to move around and operate and do things much faster using using the Bluetooth keyboard. 
and in the kitchen i now sit and chop onions on a plate rather than on a chopping board but i've become so good that it's it's the site is not even an issue in the kitchen anymore i worked as a commercial chef for for 20 years so it's it's just come back very quickly and obviously i have to be cautious around the gas stove and and heat is <laughs> you, you you can't just look and see that something is hot you have to be cautious so you move a little slower and takes a little bit longer but you can do anything i don't have any specific kitchen tools i don't have label making machines i i am anal when it comes to being organized i'm the one who's in charge of the fridge i'm the one who's in charge of the spice rack if the things are not where i want them to be i flip out because i do all the cooking (laughs) my wife thinks she's the lucky one (laughs) (laughs) and yeah I, i i you know my folks moved into my house when i first went blind because i was so ill just as a way of of helping me they took my spare room and then I became well enough to no longer want them into my house and needed to get them the hell out of here. So <laughs> I built a cottage in the back garden for them. And all I did is get some bricklayers and some plasterers and painters and, and guys to do roofing that. And I managed the project myself. So where, where I needed to mark something out, I got a buddy to come and help me and we, we lay out the foundation. And then I got the truck in and we cast the concrete. And there was no building project manager. I was the building project manager. <laughs> You can do you can do anything. There's no excuse. Yep. You, you just have to be maybe stubborn, maybe stupid, or maybe just confident. Well, you know. So, what what sort of advice would you, or what kind of me- what message do you want to send to other people that are maybe at the beginning of the journey that that you found yourself at, you know, a few years ago? What 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 advice or what if you had to pick a single you know, nugget of, of advice, what would you, what would you say to them? You don't have to sprint. You don't have to fly. You don't have to run a marathon. You just have to take one step at a time. I often say, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. (laughs) (laughs) The the problem is eating it all before it goes off. Well, you, you know, you've got to smoke it and you've got to cure some of it and <laughs> share it with friends, have a feast. <laughs> uh, before we let you go, is there, is there, where can people find you online? So my, if they'd like to follow my, my next adventure, which is, I, I call it a multifaceted Mediterranean mobility meander. And <laughs> okay. I'll be traveling sightless from Sicily to southern France uh, between March and May. So I have a Facebook page as well as a website and I'm on Twitter, everything Blind Scooter Guy. You can just search Blind Scooter Guy on any of the social media, you'll find it. Blindscooterguy.com is the, the site. And basically my plan is to navigate and to do everything. My wife's coming along. All she has to do, all she's allowed to do is drive the camera, take pictures. And in the spirit of, of what James Holman did, I plan to go and climb a volcano and kayak and try to use as many forms of mobility as possible and experience everything through my remaining four senses rather than my silly lost one sight. And yeah, my, my book is um, about to be available on Amazon in accessible format yeah. <laughs> and as well as print format. It is already available here locally in, in South Africa and it's selling really well. And book number two is Three quarters done. What's the title of your book? It's called How I Became the Blind Scooter Guy. Alrighty. We will look for that on Amazon. So, yeah, I mean, anyone who'd like to follow me or connect with me, I love talking to blind people and, you know, sharing stories and craziness. We'll make sure that uh, we link to everything uh, in the show notes. Do we also, or I don't know if you have it, Rob, but Chris, can you send us the link to the TED Talk as well? So I, think I can do that, that with as absolute well. pleasure. Look, I mean, my, I wear a T-shirt with a hashtag blind man can. And if anybody goes onto YouTube and just searches hashtag blind man can, they'll find it. That's that's great. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on the website to see how your trip goes. And maybe actually when you're back, we'll have you back on and you can talk about it. Maybe you can cool, talk yeah, about it. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some. I'll see. I'll 
tell you if I see any moose or anything there. <laughs> well, I was going to say, next uh, you can start planning your uh, great Canadian uh, trip. Well, I've got uh, I've got plans for the next three or four years. I, I want to hike the Camino de Santiago across Spain. Nice. Um, maybe 2020 and uh, 2019. I, I've I've got about five overseas trips this year, so it's going to be a crazy year. But maybe next year. I'll do a scooter and sidecar trip up to Namibia, which is Southwest Africa, with a, a buddy piloting and me navigating and telling him where to go. And, and he can just ride the scooter and drive the camera, basically. We'll see. I, I don't know. And if you have any uh, elephant recipes, uh, let us know, too. <laughs> Chris, it was, an absolute, oh, no. it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, thanks so much for, for taking time out of your evening and, and chatting with us. Cool. It was a great pleasure. It was nice to connect with you guys. Okay, Chris. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Okay, take care. Good luck on the trip. I was just going to say, with such an outgoing and positive attitude, we should hook him up with Blind Beginnings. Yeah. Something like that started in South Africa. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. He's got the right attitude. Nothing stopping him. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's a good idea, right? He just needs to start mentoring the next generation. Mm -hmm. There you go. Well, it's true. I mean, geez, three years, uh, you know, to have that type of an attitude that fast. Um, I mean, that's that's fairly unique. Well, and I was going to ask you, Steve, have you noticed in the years you've been doing the low vision clinics that, you know, the numbers of people who are blind or low vision are going down? Well, I've noticed uh, just in the school system in general, you're seeing fewer fully blind kids coming into the system. Um, I think there's better interventions now in the in the early going. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I still see a, a lot of people losing their vision later in life. Right. And, uh, with, with seniors, it's a bit of a, uh, a mixed bag. You, you see a lot of seniors who basically see their vision loss as being an, an end game and, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're just going to sit back now and, and, and not deal with the world. Um. You see some who, you know, are, are the complete opposite. They're they're like, well, I'm not going to let this slow me down. They just carry on. But, um, but a lot of people later in life, you know, they're they're kind of thinking, well, I'm winding down anyways, and this is just one more winding down. And they're right. they're, they're they're they don't have the headspace to recover from it, mm-hmm. um, which is sad because they can't. They just don't want it. Yeah. But it's it was so. But it's so. It's a very different. It's a very different feel when you're dealing with uh, with kids. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, for starters, kids sooner or later they're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Right. They're going to live a long time, and and they're going to have to figure it out sooner or later. Um, you know, the kids who were born blind, they don't they don't know any different. Mm-hmm. They just they just carry on, and and you right. know, if they're lucky, they hook up with a program like Sean Marsley's and and uh, you know really get a good kickstart in life to you know have that positive attitude um but uh you know mainstreaming now having them in mainstream schools uh is is very helpful because you know more social opportunity more interaction Mm -hmm. you know um i I would say that mainstreaming has been a, a super positive benefit um over the last bunch of years Whereas before, you know, we, we had, you know, institutional schools and, mm-hmm. and there's a place for those, you know, for, for, you know, quick acquisition of skills. If you can get a bunch of people into one place to, to learn, you know, how to access a computer, you know, how to use voiceover or JAWS or what, what have you. Um, but that's not a place where they should do their entire, um, educational career. They need a, they need a broader life experience than that. Yeah, I'm just curious. I just I just wonder if part of you know, part of that reduced time that it seems to be taking people to adjust is is because of well, one, the technology is just getting better and better where the the limitations are less and less. Um but also I think that just just attitudes, um being able to connect with other people um on social networks or even just, you know, you just do a Google search online and and search you you can find tons of blogs and postings out there by people who are blind that are that are doing you know uh, doing anything that they they want to do and that can really galvanize somebody i think that's at the beginning of that 
Yeah, the access to information is definitely has it's, a huge impact. Sure, I mean better. I mean, but 15, 20 years ago, there was none of that. You, if you yeah. were, if you went blind, you were kind of like, you know, like Chris was saying, uh, you you were in solitary confinement almost. You had your your immediate family and friends, and maybe you had some some services here mm-hmm. and there from something like the CNIB or the the RNIB or something, but uh, that was that was kind of it. And so these days, that's just not the case. So there's this global community of, of, um, of people who are advocating and people who are sharing their stories. And I think that that can really have an impact um, uh, on somebody who's sort of looking at, at vision loss for the first time. Yeah, I think I've related the story before about um, the, uh, the camps that I used to do on Bowen Island and, and with... Um, Special Education Technology, BC, and in the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Um, when we first started doing the technology camps on uh, on Bowen Island, we were teaching dead basic computer skills. You know how to use JAWS. You know very very simply how to navigate around Windows. The next year we did it, we taught um, chat programs, MSN, IRC, um, things like that, which were Back then, fairly fairly popular uh, chat applications, right? But really hadn't been used by the uh, the kids that we were we were working with. The year after that, those kids had really grabbed that that um, that chat um, technology, and they kept in touch for the rest of the year with a lot of those kids that they were right. at, at that camp with. And it was the first time that we really started to see networking uh, between those kids in the in the blind community. And the next year, um, after they'd learned the chat, their technology levels leapt up to a really new plateau. Wow! Because they came into camp doing things like, oh, pirating audio. Um, which they had had learned from you know one of them figured it out and then they got on the chat boards and it's like hey hey, look at this you can pirate audio by doing this and (laughs) the next thing you know everybody was was pulling down napster and things Mm -hmm. like that and torrent well not torrents back then they were uh, uh, news groups sure Um, and uh, it was it was really interesting to see how that little seed that we had planted just by teaching them the chat program grew into this massive network and it's still growing to this day you know there's still um you know there's better and better social media uh sites um there's there's specific groups that uh, that people can join through things like facebook um yeah there's all of this networking going on you know i see now when i when i go onto facebook groups uh somebody will post a question you know, it's like, hey, how do I do this on my uh, on my Windows computer? Well, by the time I see that post, there's probably five answers to that <laughs> yeah. that thing already. Yeah. You know, people just jump on it, and, and they're so willing to help and to to spread their knowledge and and uh, help somebody over a, a minor hurdle like that. Um, it's great. It, it's it's life changing technology. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, I mean, it, Chris made a good point. I mean, we're incredibly lucky to be living in the age that we are. We're so spoiled. I mean, we, we live in a, a an age where we can literally look up anything at any time and probably find the answer. Yeah, and then we have to find out whether it's true or That's not. Right. It's on the internet. <laughs> well, That's sure. Right. Right. How many people diagnose themselves online, right? Oh God, don't even get me started on that. I can't tell you. Yeah, I got this, 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 and this. I'm dying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, actually, I did that over the weekend. <laughs> I, I think I'm convinced I have a hernia. Yeah. Where? So, like, yeah. right here. Like yeah, right I had one here. right, right there. That's yeah. yeah. That's. Do you have What's a it? do you have a little bulge? No. You, you'd notice a bulge. Oh yeah. really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you can you Most reverse likely. a can you reverse a hernia? Yeah, yeah, they basically they do surgery. They tuck it. Back ah. in, they put a little bit of mesh on top of it. They sew it up, and you're good. Is it is it? Hmm. Okay. No biggie. I don't know. I'm just thinking. Like, can I do sit ups or something to to to? 
no offset it no. like if it, if it's the beginning of one because no. I don't know it's kind of sensitive I don't, go, does it really hurt go see your doctor go see your doctor ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I just poke it back in <laughs> nope anyways yeah so I was looking that up all weekend what is a hernia what mm. symptoms of a hernia and the symptoms are always really vague mm-hmm like well it could be gas but it also could be hernia yeah you see i didn't i didn't actually have any symptoms mine mine was discovered when uh when, <laughs> when i was in hospital remember i had the big staph infection and all, yeah. mm-hmm. all that thing i landed in hospital and it was one of the doctors coming around i was asking him a bunch of questions about you know everything that was going on and at this point i had you know I had a chest tube. I had two IVs running into my arm. You know, they were draining fluids off of my lungs. And the doctor says, so do you, do you have any other questions or concerns? I said, yeah, you know, I got this bulge down here. I showed it to him and he just, he just went and he slapped himself in the forehead and he go, you've got a hernia. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just one more thing. <laughs> Add that to the list. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. To... yeah. When I fell apart, I fell apart all at once. Yeah. No kidding. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyways, uh, hey Ryan. Rob, where can people find us? Well, they can find us online at www.atbanter.com. They can also email us if they so desire, atbanterpodcast at gmail dot com. And we can also be found on Facebook. We can be found on Twitter, and we can be found on Instagram. Kaboom! Hey Google. Look up Canadian Assistive Technology. Sorry, I don't understand. Okay, well then I'll get Steve to tell us about it then. Steve! <laughs> well, Google don't know squat. You gotta add a wiki, wiki article to it, then she'll find it. <laughs> there you go. Well, let me tell you about Canadian Assistive Technology. Canadian Assistive Technology is this fabulous company based in Burnaby, British Columbia that does all kinds of assistive technology stuff. Just scads, heaps, wads, chunks. And uh, it can be found online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Coming soon, new website. Really? Yes. Oh, excitement. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> um, uh, what about uh, that, that Rick Chant guy? Well, that Rick Chant guy, that's that guy who can fix pretty much any kind of assistive technology, right? Yep. That's him. Yeah, he's a pretty smart fella. You know where they, you know where they can find him? Uh, where? They can find him at chaostechnicalservices.com. You got to spell the whole thing out, C H A O S technicalservices.com. Or you can email him at chaostech, C H A O S T E C H at shaw s h a w .ca. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. That's probably it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. I've been Robin O. I've been Ryan. I've been Steve. And this is the Cowbell. We'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.